This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how do we go from running naked covered in olive oil at the Olympics to biathlon and the modern Olympics? Ancient Olympics expert Nigel Crowther tells us more about the bizarre history surrounding the ancient Olympics and its modern revival. It's part two of our conversation about the Olympics with Nigel. Steve Stebbing is back with a review of whodunit movie that has got the world talking. We check uh, out Death on the Nile, that movie, and Liam Neeson's next big action flick that Steve Stebbing absolutely loves. He does not love it. You're going to have to listen to find out why. Plus, are you okay with soup in particular? Ryan's got a soup recipe that made us go, huh? This is the Shift Podcast. So let's just get into it. Let's get started because I want to know, are you okay with... One of the things that I absolutely love to do new to me yeah what's that what is um i like to cook in a way that i've never cooked before Uh and it's totally different like it well it's like you take all the leftovers and you get to you know maybe i'm just getting cheap maybe that's maybe i don't love to cook maybe i just maybe i don't like to be cheap i don't like to waste food let's get started with this one with this clip out of context um, uh... <laughs> oh, 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 one mulligatani and, um, what is that right there? Is that lima bean? Yes. Never been a big fan. <laughs> um, you know what? Does, has anyone ever told you you look exactly like Al Pacino? You know, son of a woman. <laughs> Very good. Very good. You know something? No soup for you. Come back one year. Are you okay with soup? I love to make soup. Soup is my thing. It's my new thing. I've, it's, yeah. I'm trying to become a master of the soup. Have you done... Uh, so you, you do the leftover soup, but have you tried mm-hmm. uh, like doing any... Uh, like I want to say like experimentation with soup. Like I made a clam chowder where instead of using cream for the broth, I used coconut milk, and it was the best Ew. thing I've ever had in soup. It was insane. It was oh, like sweet. Amazing. And then Ugh. you put sweet potatoes in it instead of normal potatoes. Oh, it's amazing. Trust me. Oh, I know. It sounds clams? gross. Trust me. Oh. Also orange. Orange and white. It's, it was amazing. <laughs> it was incredible. Brendan lived on veggies for years, and even he's going. Ugh. I went with a vegan, half a vegan option, and Brendan's revolted. That's that should say something. <laughs> Holy moly! Well, it's wow. not very vegan. We use pork clams. Yeah, the pork clams. Um, no, I haven't done a uh, coconut clam sweet potato soup. To answer your question, I've um, there's minestrone in the there's a minestrone recipe oh, in the family. Yeah. That's pretty good. Minestrone's good. <laughs> what soup do soups. you like, Brendan? I get a couple of different turkey <laughs> soups and chicken soups. Brendan, what's going on? Are you okay? I guess soup for me is like political parties. I don't like any of them. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm okay with soup. Brendan is not. And Ryan, I'm not quite sure what he's okay with in this one. Um, but it it's... It, it's liquid with clams in it. I'm I did have say, a clam you, chowder. 
in Victoria. It was good. Clam chowder is is amazing regardless. Like, you know, I, I, I sent you the recipe. It looks like normal clam chowder. You just get a little bit of a spiciness. And by spiciness, I mean like, you know, the specialness. It tastes different. It's cool. It's very good. I find good. this for, like, you are so against pineapple on pizza. I find it strange mm. that that you're open-minded to coconut and clams. It's really good. It's like the one good thing that came out of my first serious relationship was this coconut uh, clam chowder recipe. That's it. <laughs> wow. That's all I that was left with. That does not all. say much about your relationship. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, well, are you okay with soup is our question here. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, an extremist <sighs> within the Republican Party down in the United States, made a pretty hilarious mouth, mouth typo on Wednesday. Her mouth typo implies that there are police enforcing cold Italian soup. But now we have Nancy Pelosi. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff, and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. This government has turned into something it was never meant to be, and it's time to make it end. Okay, so in case you missed it, this was the mouth typo. But now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police. (laughs) Okay. Hmm, That's not right. I probably wouldn't have caught that, so I'm glad Ryan did. Uh, While Green was claiming Nancy Pelosi had a secret Nazi police force, she said gazpacho instead of Gestapo. She made the most recent comments in an interview on Real America with Dan Ball, affiliated with One America News. The Guardian grabbed this amazing response from it. Uh, Sarakshi Ray, a senior journalist at The Hill, tweeted, I was wondering why everybody in D.C. was tweeting about gazpacho, and now I'm just craving some for dinner. That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah, Yeah, gazpacho. (laughs) Oh, my. (sighs) Just that was so wrong. okay with... It was wrong. I agree. Are you okay with dentures? No, um, I don't. I don't have them yet. I went through uh, four years of braces, several dental surgeries, uh, so I'm really hoping these teeth last a long time, and then I don't have to have them for a long time. But you know, I feel like there will be a day a day that the dentures are just going to show up in my life, and I'm just going to have to hmm. say thank you for coming and filling out my mouth with teeth. <laughs> Um, I always tease my dad because my dad has dentures. And so you have to talk about things like this (laughs) when he doesn't have his teeth in, right? Yes. Yeah. The worst part of dentures. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Hey, man, if it gives you a nice smile because you got no choppers anymore, then that's all right, too. Yeah. Yeah. They serve a purpose. It's great. I don't want dentures because no. i have perfect television teeth as you can see you here on very the good zoom teeth. call yeah on the radio yeah i know that's why i went into mm-hmm. radio i don't have yeah. i don't have perfect television anything else but the teeth i tell you man nice teeth. yeah nice grand shoppers one of my grand my grandmother on my dad's side had dentures so there's some genetic history there but i didn't mm. even have a cavity last time at the dentist after years of not going so Maybe I'll be okay. You better not like sesame seeds if you got dentures. That's what I'm telling you. I don't like anything. Oh, that sounds yeah, awful. They hurt. 
they get underneath there. Okay, the worst part of dentures, and this applies to retainers too, of course, is losing them. Incredibly, this British man was able to get his fake teeth back again after losing them in Spain 11 years ago. What? (laughs) 63-year-old Paul Bishop said he fell ill after drinking cider during a night out at a Spanish party resort in 2011. He downed his cider. He had to use a trash can from too much of the ciders, as one does Mm -hmm. from time to time, and out came his dentures. When we headed to the next bar, the quote goes, my friend then turned around to me and asked where my teeth were. <laughs> Paul told the BBC, wow. you know you're smashed when you don't even realize. He's like, that's a hey, good night. Paul, Paul, where's your teeth? What are you talking about? <laughs> Wait, my mouth feels absolutely fine. Uh, so, um, He lost his teeth in the garbage can, really, is what this boils down to, and didn't realize it. Paul's dentures were recently found in a landfill, and Spanish authorities used DNA records to track him down in Manchester. I can't be the only one that's thinking. This seems like a waste of resources. It's, yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Right. But I guess how would you know if they were how long they had been there for, right? Because if you found dentures in the landfill, you might go, "Oh, they've been here. They, maybe they got here yesterday. Maybe they were just a, a recent shipment of garbage." Yeah, why well, their dentures though? Like, did they think they were real teeth? Like they were actual maybe. teeth? Maybe that's why they did this investigation. Because you'd Could think be. if they knew they were dentures, they just unless like, they were trying mm. to find that. Maybe they thought there was a body somewhere in the mm. dump, and they're like, mm. "Ooh, did somebody hide a body in the dump? We should see." If this is a missing person, maybe that's why, you know. Well, there's another story of dentures being reunited with their owner. Although this came from the future. <laughs> oh, did I leave an extra number in there? I think I uh, did. From the year 2,109. <laughs> the, the zero of the Flash one. forward Friday. <laughs> wow. Flash forward Friday. Oh. Um, Shane, you can hit the well, button for that. Thanks, buddy. That's yeah. a typo. So, Ryan, what years does this case come from since you're... 2109. No, t- 2019. It was two years ago. From 2019, there is this new case that Ryan put together for us. It's a little bit more confusing, though, about the teeth. A British man's missing dentures were found stuck in his throat eight days after surgery. This case, published in the British Medical Journal, states the man had minor surgery... He had to remove a lump in his abdomen. And look at the x-ray. He returned to the hospital days later complaining of blood in his mouth and trouble breathing, trouble swallowing. Doctors struggled to diagnose the problem until they looked at that x-ray and found his dentures stuck right across his vocal cords. 72-year-old was rushed into surgery. He did suffer a month of complications before eventually healing. Oh, my goodness. Dude. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. 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 Um, yeah. Well, first of all, this is one of the surgery things they ask you if you have dentures. So apparently not the case. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> That's from ABC7, by the way. Are you okay with boats? Boats. Are you okay with mm. boats? I like boats. I haven't been on one in a long time, but when I lived in Ontario... We'd go down to the marina. I forget which one it was, uh, but one of our friends had a boat, and we would go out and watch movies on it sometimes, and just like hang out 
I was a kid, but it's still awesome. Love boats. Well, I just want to, uh, that kind of interesting boat story, but I just want to say, Ryan, you and I were on a boat here in the harbor in the summer. Technically. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That I was, was on a boat the last time you. I was on a boat. Like six months ago. Where? Yeah. Oh, For what? yeah. Down here Where'd in you guys Vancouver? go on a boat? We took the sea bus or the, the little f- tiny ferries uh, to get to Granville Island, which yeah. I loved every minute on that. Yeah, it's a boat. Yeah. It's awesome. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, we did that. I forgot about yeah. that. I, nice. uh, now, for me, I was obsessed with boats as a kid. I uh, would m- make my parents take me to the Welland Canal like mm-hmm. multiple times a week just to watch the boats. Mm. I was obsessed with the boats, the big ships. When I moved away from the Welland Canal, you know what I missed the most? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The boats honking horns, uh, because they bonk the horns when they're, you know, they acknowledge each other when they're moving in, in and out of the canal. And so in the middle of the night, because I was a block away from the canal, oh, it, yeah. you would hear the horns honking at nighttime. We'd sleep with the window open. So, um, I, that I missed, I missed the horn honking. And I think anybody who lives on the coast, you miss that, like the ding, 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 ding sounds. And yeah, those are, those are cool sounds. Well. We're, we're talking about big boats. We're not talking about little boat you guys took to Granville Island. Like big boats. Like the kind of boat that is so big, it forces a town to dismantle a bridge. Dismantle a bridge so it can sail through. The historic center of Rotterdam was almost totally destroyed during the Nazi bombing of May 1940. Today, one of the few landmarks left that predates the war is this bridge, the distinctive Koningshaven, de Hef to locals, with its rising centre. Trains no longer use it, but it stands as a towering monument, or has until now. If it was just anybody, but this is the world's richest man that wants to mess with our monument. That's just not okay. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is reportedly having this super yacht, the largest of its type in the world, built upstream. This week it emerged the bridge will need to be disassembled temporarily to get Bezos's big boat out to sea. I really felt a, a feeling of disbelief when I first heard it. City councillor Stefan Lewis says the plan must have been known about months ago, before the yacht construction began. But we know that these super yachts are getting bigger and bigger. So are we going to take this uh, bridge apart every time such a super yacht needs to pass through? That's from Global's Redmond Shannon. Now, if Jeff Bezos did take the bridge apart, he does need to put it back together again, kind of Humpty Dumpty style. Regardless, some residents in Rotterdam are pretty upset with this idea in general. One resident named Pablo Sturman set up a Facebook event inviting others to join him in throwing a carton of, what would you throw at the boat? What do you think? Anybody? Anybody? Um, oh, in, in, if it was in the Netherlands, those, um, those Dutch pancakes, like those flat ones that you can buy in mm-hmm. the store, those. I think they're called panacock. But yeah, that is panacaken. Yeah. Panacaken. Um, so, uh, no, rotten eggs, actually. They want to put not just oh. eggs, rotten eggs, as the boat Ooh. sails by. Tomatoes are also available as a vegan option. And that's not a joke. They're saying, look, if you're vegan, um, <laughs> which I don't know, is that vegan at that point? Because the eggs are obviously rotten. So they're not going to be born. Yeah. Right? At that point? Mm. I, don't, mm. I don't know. What yeah, there's some questionable logic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Anyway, tomatoes, also an option. So far, 4,300 people have said they plan to attend the event, while another 14,000 are not interested. Uh, are, no are official word. Are, sorry, my bad. Excuse are me. Interested. Thank yes. you for the correction. Another 14,000 are interested in attending this. No official plans to egg the boat for or the boat to pass uh, pass through. I think that's what that says. And not only all of that, to me, it would be really great if they ordered the eggs off of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Grocery yeah. delivery, Amazon. You, right? Congratulations, you played yourself. <laughs> um, but maybe it's time for a new bridge. Why don't they make Bezos just build him a new bridge so all the boats can go through? Make him pay for it. I mean, he's paying like half a billion dollars for the boat. The thing is, though, that the, like A, the bridge is a monument, and B, like it, it's enormous. It's very mm. tall. Like there's it's no other looking thing too, right? It's, it's not like yeah, it's, it's very World War Two. Yeah. It's pre like it's very much a sign of that time. But there's no I can't think of another boat aside from a like a cruise ship or a freighter that could fit that would ever ever need to go there. And it's it's mm-hmm. just insane. Like the, how big Bezos's boat is going to be. Well, have you seen the videos of the X? X they, have, they don't show videos of the inside, but they've got some drone video of the outside of the boat. Like it's yeah. massive. It's, it's a sailboat with three masts on it. Um, yep. It's basically excess at its best from a guy who owns a company that says they're trying to go green. Uh, you know, and I guess that he's maybe trying to go green on his boat. But the shipbuilder's upstream. I mean, the shipbuilder is building it. Half a billion dollars for a boat. It's mind-blowing. I don't know if I'm okay with that. This is the Shift Podcast. Last night, and you can hear it on our Shift Podcast from last night, we had a guest on to talk about ancient Olympics. And this is our part two of that conversation. Nigel Crowther is emeritus uh, professor at Western University. He lives in Brockville, Ontario now. He's an expert in all things to do with the Olympics. In our previous conversation, we talked about the ancient, ancient, ancient Olympics. Like we're talking the very first race was 200 meters naked, covered in olive oil. Now fast forward to when the modern Olympics kicked in and some of the correlations between the two, what is new, what is not new, and what has changed. Part two of my chat, one of the most interesting, insightful conversations I've ever experienced this is part two with Nigel Crowther, Ancient Olympics on the shift. And I've got a quick question for you. Is 1896 an Olympic year? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that, but now well, that you've completely spun yeah. my head around on all of this, I, I would say that, yeah. yeah, it's probably not, because if that's when it started. It started 776, right? If you divide by four all the way through, you come to 4 B.C., and the question is, when were the next games after 4 BC? And there's no year zero, so you go from 4 BC to 1 AD. So the ancient games, as I mentioned, ended in 393, an odd year. So the modern games should have been 1897, I guess. So why did Kubitown pick 1896? Politics. This was the 75th anniversary of the independence of the Greeks from Turkey. Wow. And the Greeks, of course, were part of the modern movement. Isn't that interesting? 
Well, and hey, no politics in the Olympics, but then again, that's no how they restarted it. The <laughs> so, yeah. Fascinating. Can I just add one more point to yes, that? Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a point. This may surprise you a little bit or not. In the ancient world, winning was everything. First place only counted. No prize for second, no prize for third. Let's come to Kubitan. What did Kubitan believe in? What's the magic word? Participation. This was nonsense in the Greek world. So what I'm saying is the whole concept changed in 1896. Kubitan introduced the games to fit his own purpose, not to follow the Greek games. So winning at all costs, ancient style, no second place, there's no third. Huh. Monday, you get participation, don't you? Participation well, medals. Today you get, yeah, participation ribbons for going. <laughs> no winners in some elements, some sports. Right. You know what you got in the ancient world? You got a sense of shame at not winning. And if you didn't win, the stories suggest that Athletes crept home, and I'm quoting here, via the side roads so that nobody would see them coming wow. home. Sense of shame. <laughs> How different is that? So very different. My goodness. <laughs> Let me fast forward slightly here um, yeah. to winter. It was ah, in the yeah. 1920s, wasn't it? Something like that when Winter Olympics? Because it's basically 100 years ago almost. It is actually, Yes. 1924 in France. So, obviously, the Greeks didn't have winter games, did they? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, they just introduced games that were popular at the time. So, we're moving away from the ancient world, 1924. It's kind of interesting that the Greeks don't, the modern Greeks don't bother much with the ancient, sorry, the ancients, of course, love the summer games because there were no winter games. But the modern Greeks don't really care about the winter games. So not too much snow. There, there is a serious earth or two in Greece. And if you go to Athens and go into the Olympic Stadium, you'll find they have a list of Olympic sites but they're only summer games, not winter games. But of course here, the winter games are the games for some people, hockey, curling, and so forth, which Canada is very good. So I love this. This is so cool. I, you know what you actually, what Nigel, you know, one of the things that you've given me the most of in this conversation is I've always thought of some sports as being, sort of sacred inside the Olympics. Um, And then there have been other ones that, you know, that have come along that are new and they're normal now, but they weren't at first, like anything to do with snowboarding, for example, would be a good uh, example of that. Um, And so it was at first when we talk about new sports coming in, you know, demonstrating new sports, people get their backup and they get, but it's not tradition. When in fact, (laughs) if you look at it from the lens that you've provided us, you know, fundamentally there's, no tradition, really, other than the fact that we're going to compete. That is true. Wow. Or participate, perhaps, would participate. be a better word today. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And if, I don't know how familiar you are with the new summer events, but there are things like, I must admit, I, I don't really like them, but uh, one, of the, one of these, uh, haven't thought about this for a while, but all sorts of what I call kids' sports mm. and skateboarding yeah. and uh, so forth, yeah. which are actually tried out in uh, Youth Olympics. And then if they're successful, they come into the Olympics. And of course, snowboarding is more for younger people than older people because I don't know if it's still the same, but skiers used to look down on snowboarders on, on the same hill. Yeah. Yeah. That was very true. <laughs> yeah. Remember when, do you remember when people, they wouldn't get on the lift? There was an era where yeah. they wouldn't, you can't ride this lift with us if you're going to have that snowboard yeah. with you. So the IOC is introducing these to bring in the modern audience because there are lots of what I call silly events in the Olympic Games. I'm not referring to these youth events. You know where the modern pentathlon is? Yep. Not just the pentathlon, but the modern pentathlon, which is very martial. It's, uh, it's connected with guns and uh, military and so forth. How many people practice that? And well, the answer is not very many, though. That's like biathlon to me. I mean, um, oh, yeah. right? Like the yeah. cross-country skiing part, I get. I don't get the target yeah. shooting as as part of it. Like well, together, maybe separately. Like if you want to do target shooting as a sport, well, okay. But I don't know if I understand why the two of them are married. I don't like military events anyway. I don't think we should be shooting I mean, there was uh, a lot of shooting in the 1896 games, and they used to shoot at live targets. Oh, Just yeah. to give you an idea about brutality, but well, things change. Well, but I do agree with the biathlon, but that is it's a very difficult event to do, not as I've ever done it, but you've got to run the equivalent of 12 flights of stairs, I mean, the, your cross-country skiing through the snow. And then you've got to stop or slow down your heartbeat. And you got to fire between these separate heartbeats. Yeah. So I'm told. But why you've got that, I'm not sure. Oh, skilled, no doubt. Um, just oh, it's just... a very, very skilled event, yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, let me throw this at you then, Nigel. I mean, breakdancing and all of things around dancing starting to get talked about in and around yes. Olympics. Where does that land with a guy like you that studied ancient Olympics? Uh, as long as it's popular today. Whether I really like these or not is uh, not as important as that uh, it builds people. There has been a strong movement in the, I guess they're going in the summer games, to introduce ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. How about that? See that to that me, I think that's important. fantastic. Yeah, that, I'm not. I'm not against it. Those are uh, I mean, if you got figure skating, yeah, or more yeah. precisely, the dancing aspect, mm -hmm. dancing on ice. What what's the difference? Very good, uh, very good argument. I would say that. Um, I would agree with you. I think that I've never even thought of it that way before. I only thought of it from the lens of that ballroom dancing is such athleticism that. Um, that Absolutely. goes into it. Like, it's it's incredible athleticism. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I agree with that. How about bridge? Bridge like the card game? Yes. 
<laughs> as, a, as an Olympic sport? Or chess. Uh, I don't know. See, it doesn't seem like athletics to me. Um, <laughs> like it's, it, like, it's like this conversation about video games, right? Because people oh, often yes. talk about uh, video games and they call them, they call them athletes. So some video gamers were looking for visas in order to travel. And then they tried to argue that they were athletes in order to get their visas. And yeah. I, I like gamers. I think yeah. they can take the title of gamers, but I, I don't yeah. think they can take the title of athletes because athletics to me is using all aspects of uh, your body able or not. So I, 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 yeah. So that chess and stuff like that to me, that okay. unless they create like a, a winter Olympics and summer Olympics and then a brain Olympics. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what's interesting about that? I've got to pick up your term athlete and that is uh, a Greek word. And it means someone who competes for a prize. Oh, wow. So there That's you go. It. Someone That's who it. Competes for a prize. And the Greeks had all sorts of competition. It was a very competitive society. We talk about the Olympic Games at Silver, but they had competitions in, uh, for women in sewing. <laughs> they had competitions for surgeons. I don't know how they... Oh, that's... <laughs> Who's the poor bugger who gets thrown into that, uh, that pile to volunteer? My goodness. Yeah. Whew. Oh, this is so fascinating. Nigel, I really appreciate this insight on all things Olympics, where it is today. Do you still, okay, from this lens, I got to ask, because every single year, um, everyone talks about, should we keep doing the Olympics? I guess I'm of the opinion, when we look at economics of the world today, it becomes more and more apparent that having Olympic bases, hubs, if you will, returning cities. And if your city today wants to host Olympics, be it, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Western Canada or whatever, um, then go ahead, build all the infrastructure to go with that and then host them every 12 years or something, right? Like, but for these places to build all of this stuff and never use it again. That's right. Uh, the economics seems so incredibly wild. Where does that land with you for what the future of the Olympics looks like? Uh, yeah, a lot of the buildings become obsolete. A velodrome, for example, is not used in yeah. China. It's not used in Athens and elsewhere. I think of the ski jump in Calgary that's too small now. In 88, it was fine. Yeah, it gets but, to go up to uh, 110 meters now. Yeah, and they jump so far. That they actually, what I was told uh, at Windsport when I was there on a tour was that if they used it today, they yes. would be landing where the fans used to stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. The problem I have is actually with the IOC. And the IOC is really a money-making operation. Yeah. Plus, they want to expand around the world. That's why they've gone to Beijing twice. They forget about politics, but that's another question. And they award, as you know, a games to a particular city. And they say you can have all the local revenue, but we will have the big guys. And here's a small problem for you, the host city. If you have any runovers, in other words, if it costs more than you thought, too bad for you, you've got to pay. And mm-hmm. um, the famous instance, the notorious instance for us, of course, is Montreal, which took decades for Jean, who was it, Jean Drapeau? 
yeah, John Depot to pay off the debt, and the people of Montreal were still mm-hmm. paying it off 40 years later, or certainly 30 years later. So, yeah, it's not evenly distributed. And really, you have to be, for the Summer Games, to be a major, a major city. Otherwise, you don't have facilities. And really, as far as I can tell, the last city that didn't run over was Los Angeles. Wow, that's a long time ago. Los Angeles, 1984. Yeah. And they didn't run over for two reasons. They had a very good organizer, Peter Gurinoff, um, who was a businessman. Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me, frog in the throat. And the other reason is they had all the facilities. So they were using the swimming pool from USC already there. They're using the Coliseum from the NFL mm-hmm. in 1984. But you're right. Most places don't have these facilities. So I don't think we'll see in the future games in places like Lillehammer. Right. Most people couldn't put Lillehammer on the map. So... I don't know. That's the way I think. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the one from Russia from what was it, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that, you know, it's one basically. Sochi. Yeah, Sochi. And it was just, um, and it was literally, you see the photos today of those places that it was used for two weeks and then two more weeks after that for Paralympics and then never again. Like, that's amazing. Um, well, two things about Sochi. One is that uh, it's become a real tourist resort for the Russians, because it's on the Black Sea and they got palm trees. And the other thing is that Formula One now goes there. Oh, really? Did you know that? I did not know that. One of my favorite sports is Formula One <laughs> motor racing. Maybe we should put it in the Olympics. And all that. So now there's a permanent track there. Interesting. That's kind of interesting. This is all fascinating. Um, I I feel like we could stay here for, for days and days, Nigel, picking your brain. We could about all things Olympics. So maybe we'll do that. Um, For this conversation, though, that is fascinating. And I really appreciate you um, sharing the insight. I learned so much in this, like completely. I think it's even changed my opinion of the Olympics, frankly. (laughs) It's fascinating. Can I just mention two comments? Yeah. One is I did uh, a, a video, a docudrama for CBC, which went around the world. And it, it's still on YouTube. And if any of your listeners want to take a look at it, it's not very hard. It's not an original title. It's Let the Games Begin, Ancient Video. Let the Games Begin, followed by Ancient Video. And you'll see a video I made with others. And where I talked to, for example, who are these uh, guys, Shivalo, talked to Shivalo. Remember him, George Shivalo, about boxing? And the uh, 1996 sprint champion, Donovan Bailey, about running. And the other thing is question for you. See how good you are knowledge. This is a difficult question. Oh, boy. This isn't good. <laughs> and, and the question is, which is the, you know, we'll surprise you. Which is the only country that has participated in every modern Olympic Games since 1896? There's only one. That's participated in everyone since 1896? Without a miss. I'm trying to think of boycotts, right? Because there was some... Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's good. So it's not the USA. 
Yeah, so it's not the USA, and I would say it's probably not England. I would guess if I was going to throw anything, I'd say France. That's a very good guess, but you're wrong. Damn. France got, France got, uh, um, what was it? France got uh, one after 1896 in Paris. But the answer is the UK. Oh, no way. A lot of people say, well, it's got to be Greece, but it's not so because of the Winter Olympics. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Maybe we'll see a, uh, like the Jamaican bobsled team, which ah, uh, yeah. maybe we'll see a Greek, we'll see a Greek bobsled team emerge out of the dust into some amazingness in winter games one year, just like the Jamaicans have done it. Pretty cool stuff. Well, that's kind of interesting because the Jamaican bobsled team was a kind of sensation, right? Everybody loved them. Yep. And if you think about your part of the world, Calgary, when was Calgary? 1988. Mm -hmm. You remember who the famous athlete in quotes was there? You probably don't remember too many athletes by name, but you will remember this guy. You remember Eddie the Eagle? Eddie the Eagle. I was just going to say it. I, what a fantastic storyline. I remember Eddie the Eagle. I remember the story of him getting sick at the top of the ski jump because it was he'd never done it before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so good. I love this. Oh, Nigel, yeah. thanks so much for sharing the time with us well, here on the shift. I really appreciate that. And uh, I we, we're going to pick your brain again because this is fun stuff. Thank you so much, sir, for being so generous. Oh, you're more than welcome. I, I really enjoyed it. This is the Shift Podcast. Steve Stebbing and stevestebbing.ca here on the Shift. Now, Steve, I've taken your list. I threw it out the window because I watched Reacher this week and I'm on it's on Prime and it's fantastic. That guy is a giant, by the way. Yeah, Uh, it's it's a far cry from five foot five tom cruise i want to say i think yeah. maybe that's generous too i think he's like five three five four or something like he's super short but alan richardson yeah he's got the stature he's got the squareness he 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 oozes military yeah um and yeah it's already been renewed uh, i'm sure people have already burned through all of it and mm-hmm. uh yeah let's get more let's get more going so if you uh, haven't read the Jack Reacher books, very good. And if you do like the Jack Reacher books, Integrity is there. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Lee Child is a major producer on this uh, on this series as well. I believe that he was uh, deeply involved in the scripting of everything. And uh, I mean, any person that's read the book is like, yeah, this is super authentic. And they usually don't get it, it this close to the books. So, yeah. Um, the character's great, and they've also picked, I think, the smallest uh, of the um, of the characters to play uh, the role of the police officer. Uh, Roscoe is the name, mm-hmm. um, and she's this tiny little sprite of a ass kicker. It's great. Um, it was a fantastic <laughs> show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Willa mm-hmm. Fitzgerald is uh, is her name. Alan Richson is the name of the uh, the real name of Reacher. Okay, fine. We'll do your list. <laughs> I was excited to talk about that. Okay, movies, new releases, interesting. It's kind of like Clue on a boat. That's what I think. It's called Death on the Nile. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. 
I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide. We have the Karnak all to ourselves, a chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? When you have money, no one is ever really your friend. Uh, Death on the Nile, Brennan Kelly really wants to talk about the soundtrack there. Yeah, with uh, some Depeche Mode, some really slowed down Depeche Mode. Yeah. Sounds, sounds good. <laughs> it's you know what it's it, and, and I know you probably pick up on this a lot. A lot of the trailers now are using these slow, sad versions of really popular songs. Like uh, there was, um, I, I one of them used like a sad version of uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Um, I think the bat one of the Batman trailers used "Come as You Are." Um, there's there's just been a bunch of just like morose sounding songs, <laughs> ver- cover versions of these songs. Yeah, it seems it seems like an awful lot of work, really, because all they could, they could just use <laughs> the original versions from Morrissey and the Smiths, yeah. and then they could and they wouldn't have to change or edit anything. Oh, then it'd be so insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Death on the Nile. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, Kenneth Branagh adapting Agatha Christie again, and also uh, taking on the role of Hercule Poirot, if, if I say it like they did in the trailer there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, they're kind of glossy versions of, of classic stories, but Branagh does these ones really well. And it comes from, I mean, this is a guy that, that's been adapting uh Shakespeare for for decades now so for him to take some classic literature and put his own spin on it is not too far off and uh it looks great has a really great cast to it uh Gal Gadot is in this one Annette Bening Russell Brand a few other people and uh yeah the the word on this one is very good next on the list was Steve Stebbing what the hell should we watch this weekend Blacklight one day you wake up and realize you're not sure who the good guys are anymore. You're a federal agent involved in a secret FBI program. Off the books. What kind of bad stuff do you do? Breaking and entering. Physical coercion. You name it, I've probably done it. Murder? Not on my menu. Grandpa! Gabe, I've been thinking. Maybe it's time I hang it up. No. Travis, not an option. What have you done, Liam Neeson? One movie over and over and over again. But it's absolutely. Great. Yeah. See, I mean, yesterday I was on this serotonin high of watching some new killer Star Wars with the end of the book of Boba Fett. And then I ruined everything by watching this piece of garbage, uh, <laughs> which I mean, Liam Neeson at this point is comparable to Bruce Willis, how Bruce Willis keeps making crap direct video but the thing with liam neeson is all of his movies inexplicably get theatrical release and they're all the same i mean he's basically a cia cia you know dark ops operative who is trying to retire but his handler won't let him out of the game and it's just the same garbage the same tough guy uh geriatric action at this point and wasn't he supposed to retire from this i keep waiting for a retirement to come because i thought taken was like the end of it but no we we just keep going on this morose ride here i quite like it i think it's fun i like watching the same movie and over and over again with a different (laughs) he's so good at it okay uh catch the fair one is next on what the hell should we watch this weekend Saturday this weekend, 
my sister's got a big fight going on. And you know I can't win without my baby sister. You think I'm gonna win? You better say yes. <laughs> I find girls and bring them to the motel. Is it her? Yes, her. If you want to go through with this, you have to be all in and play the part. And once you're there, you're on your own. Ryan O'Donnell um, loves movies that are three hours long. <laughs> Is Ryan O'Donnell going to love this movie? No, well, I, he might love it half as much. It's only like an hour twenty-four. Uh, <laughs> it, it's super short. It's a breakneck speed, but it's this really interesting uh, thriller that's like got like um, redemption at its core because basically it follows this former uh, boxing champion who. Um, She's kind of been down and out, uh, fallen into drug addiction and everything. But to kind of get her life back in order and her family back in order, she decides to go on her own investigation to find out what happened to her mister- missing sister within the sex trade. And it gets super intense. Uh, the lead star, I've never seen her before, Callie Reese. She does a really good job in this. She also wrote the story for it. And it's just it's one of those like brutal kind of neo-noir type of thrillers that just I don't know, it, it, it seemed to work and cohese together so well. Uh, a real surprise for me because I'd never heard of this movie heading into it. All right, Steve Stebbing, what the hell should we watch this weekend? Don't forget the AV Club is coming up for you here uh, shortly. Cops and Robbers story. My name is Corey Pegues. And in the street, I was this hard and guy named Life. I was working for the Supreme Team. Supreme Team controlled the crack trade in the mid-80s in South Queens. I lived it, like I was all in. To the point that I was getting ready to murder somebody. Uh, tell us about it, Steve. Yeah, this is an interesting one because it's basically a, a, about a, a man that kind of lived two lives. Uh, in, in the 80s and stuff, he was part of the, a, a gang called the Supreme Team in New York City. Uh, basically, uh, you know, part of the, the crack game in, in the big city. And uh, after kind of like a near miss where he was almost killed, he kind of changes his direction and ends up getting into the NYPD and becoming like a high level uh, high level officer making a lot of changes and everything in the department uh, before kind of getting himself into trouble and get getting uh, kind of forcibly retired, which is when all of this information about his past comes out, which calls into question everything he did as a cop. And this is such an interesting story because it's like uh, on one side, it's like the mystery of how did this guy kind of like infiltrate the NYPD? But at the same time, like it's also kind of got the systemic problems within the the, the police department, which is kind of all mixes into the defund the police movement over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this documentary. Okay, let's get a couple of quick touches before we're done here. Steve Steve Stebbing joins us. Uh, he's a, 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 a TV movie expert guy. And he has sure. great suggestions on what we should watch on the weekend or on the TV this weekend, unless, of course, it's Blacklight. According to Steve, it's a no-go. Yeah. So uh, let's touch on these quickly because we have the AV coming, cl- coming up here, and I want to get them both first on TV on Crave, Raised by Wolves, Season 2. I have to keep my children safe. This side of the planet seems less intent on killing our children. Father once said to me, 
If you pretend to be something long enough. Something wicked this way comes. Eventually, you'll no longer need to pretend. I feel we're becoming too human. Tell us about it, Steve. Yeah, this is some HBO sci-fi by way of Ridley Scott. And essentially, it sets it up with uh, a couple of uh, androids that land on uh, crash land on a barren planet. But they have uh, 12 human embryos that they basically raise from birth, trying to keep the human uh, race uh, alive. Uh, But they're basically being hunted by... um, what is left of the human race, which has kind of fallen into more of a, like a religious crusade type of uh, type of belief and everything kind of renewing that medieval thing. And uh, I mean, this film, the show is so fascinating on so many levels gets into so much talk about existence and, and religion and faith and everything, as well as being like this insanely violent sci-fi uh, story at the same time. Uh, I really, really dug it from episode one. It just kind of grips you right away. There is a secret agenda here on The Shift, and what the hell should we watch this weekend? It is all about a crush. It's available on Crave and Disney+. Plus. No, the show is not called A Crush. It is simply just Steve Stebbing talking about his crush. Dollface Season 2. Okay, newbies, you're up. Five, six, ready, work! Arch those backs, kitties. Am I doing this wrong? I feel like Velma searching for her glasses. So you know how we're nowhere near the places we thought we'd be in our lives? We spent the last part of our official youth stuck inside, just here, watering house plants. You have too many plants. Can we just acknowledge the Scooby-Doo reference first? Absolutely. It's a good one. Love it. Well done. Tell us about your crush and how you love her. Oh, I... Kat Dennings is so great. I've just been a fan of her for a long time. Um, I mean, early roles like 40-Year-Old Virgin, Nick Nora's Infinite Playlist. Um, and I mean, now she's she was such a great supporting role in uh, WandaVision recently, uh, bringing back her um, Marvel Cinematic Universe character. But Dollface is a show that, uh, I mean, originally got it started on, on Hulu, uh, and season one only arrived here with uh, the addition of Star to the Disney Plus uh, platform. Um, but it's a really great and well-written show, basically about uh, a woman that breaks up uh, with her longtime boyfriend and is kind of thrust back into uh, the dating scene, but as well as reconnecting with all of her friends and everything. And I just think it's, as an, as an introvert character and everything, I just think she's so well-written in this and she plays it so damn well. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.